Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Shirley You Can't Be Serious podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a story coming up for you that involves Billy Joel's manager impersonating a doctor in order to sneak him out of a mental hospital that he was in after a failed attempted suicide in this episode. If you're not going to stick around to hear that story, then I don't know what to do with you. Jason, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. I've got a story on Billy Joel's greatest 24 hours in the 1980s that actually rivals Lionel Richie's greatest 24 hours. So we are here today doing our second part to the two parts that we typically do. Last week, we did Lionel Richie, Can't Slow Down. This week, we are comparing Billy Joel, an innocent man, and... Because we happen to know the number one fan in the galaxy for Billy Joel, we invited our dear friend, Mr. John Reed from the 30-something movie podcast, Mr. John Reed from the Pocket Full of Kryptonite podcast, Mr. John Reed. It's good to see you, buddy. <laughs> How you doing, man? Apparently, my reputation precedes me, and it's like a mile long. That was the longest time right there. Yeah, sorry. Was <laughs> long- I, have, I have looked for, when you guys told me about this one, this night in particular, I've looked forward to for the longest time. So ah, I, am, I, am, I, I know, I know, I, I'm guilty of that oftentimes, but overall, I'm typically an innocent man. <laughs> it's getting to be careless talk, so I'm just going to leave a tender moment alone. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. We're out for the night. Good, <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> Tip your waitress. Oh my gosh! <laughs> no, it's, I'm I'm looking forward to this. I and it's been a while since uh since I've been able to talk with you guys. Our uh, podcast full of kryptonite still on a little bit of a hiatus for just a little bit. Uh, Superman and Lois is coming back soon, so we'll have to get that back in the rotation. But like, it's been a while. It has been a while. So I was looking up because I had needed to send you the Zoom invite today, and we're trying to find your email. And I just searched our texts, and I'm look, and I say to Jason, look, it's exactly three years ago that I asked him for his email for the first time. And we just always, we pick things that we know are your favorites. So three years ago, we got together and we did Superman, which of course eventually spun into podcast full of kryptonite. Yeah. And then we have, of course, had you back on to do Star Wars Holiday Special, which was fantastic. And now here we are with Mr. Billy Joel. I think the only thing we have left to do with you is the Rocketeer. Let's do it. We can do the Rocketeer and Billy Joel at the same time. Let's just talk about both of them. (laughs) You ready to dive into the history of Mr. William Joel here? Sing us a song, you're the piano man. Sing us a song tonight. Yeah, let's let's do it. So we're going to take you back to 89. 1889. Yeah, that's when a Mr. Carl Amson Joel was born. Mr. Joel was born in Germany. And in 1928, he got himself invested in a textile factory. He was one of the key players in this textile factory. The only problem was, is that 1928 was about five years before it became the worst time in all of history to be in Germany because the Nazis. So poor Jewish 
Jewish Mr. Joel was forced to sell his textile factory to a Aryan stooge, if you will. He was then forced to cut the price in half. Then the money was put in a trust account, which he couldn't get access to. By this time, he has immigrated over to Switzerland with his wife and his young son, Helmet, who would later be called Howard, and they are there for a bit, but ultimately decide they have to get to the United States. So via France, via England, via Cuba, eventually they end up in the U.S., and he starts a another factory. By 1957, he finally gets paid for his factory in Germany. Now, I tell you all that to tell you this. His young son, Helmut, whose name was Howard, also in 1957, he was a family man. He was married with two kids, a little girl named Judith and a little boy that they called Billy. Both of them were music prodigies. Howard was a piano prodigy. Billy was a prodigy. By four years old, Billy was taking piano lessons. And then right about the time that Billy's grandfather gets all of his money, his dad, Howard, says, you know what? I liked Europe better. I'm going back. Oh, and nobody's coming with me. Yeah. And so he leaves. He goes back to Europe where he gets married again, has a second boy named Alexander, who is now a internationally famous composer. Billy Joel's half brother is yeah. an internationally famous composer named Alexander Joel. But back to 1957, when he leaves, poor Billy is, he's got piano lessons that his mom is scraping up to give him. He's getting made fun of and bullied by the local Long Island kids. And so he's got to toughen up a little bit. And so what does he take up? He takes up boxing. He, he went 22 and four he as went, a boxer. He went 22 and four. He had, he had 26 matches, lost four of them. The last two of them were by knockout. And so after that, he was done. In that time, he also kept playing music. So he and his friends start this high school band after he has fallen in love with the Beatles, and they call themselves the Lost Souls. Uh-huh. You got a story for me? I got a story for you. Yeah. So in the third grade, little William Joel, during their lunch hour, uh -huh. finds a piano in the lunchroom, starts playing Hound Dog, by Elvis Presley. Okay. And the fourth grade girls go crazy. <laughs> Keep in mind, he's a third grader. He's like, my mind he's was blown. moving up. When the fourth grade <laughs> girls were going crazy, I realized I was onto something. Yeah. He said, then he started to wiggle his hips and he got yanked off the stage <laughs> by the uh, school faculty. Well, the seed was planted at that point. It's too late. <laughs> it's like when Prince watched James Brown, he knew this was what he was destined for in life. He said that the door locked behind him. He was going to be a musician the rest of his life. Yeah. So he was the type of kid who would uh, go up to his room at night and say, good night, mom and then sneak out the window and go hustle around and getting involved in mischief and stuff. And he was also a kid who was playing in bands, and he wasn't really a top-notch student. He didn't graduate from high school. Right. Until so, like 1992 or three or something like that? Yeah, honorary GED or something like that, right? <laughs> okay, Mr. English teacher may have to weigh in on this one, but... He had a final in English that was mandatory for his graduation. And because he was at a gig playing, he slept through that test, didn't make it, petitioned the school, and they were like, nope, sorry, you don't graduate. And he's like, well, screw you guys. I know where I'm going to be anyway. So what am I doing fooling around with high school? His words exactly were, 
I'm not going to Columbia University. I'm going to Columbia Records, baby. (laughs) And then from what I understand, a quarter of a century later, he actually submitted his essays to the school board and they accepted them and gave him his diploma like 25 years after he left the school. The fact that they actually made him submit those essays. I mean, if Billy Joe calls and says, hey, can I have my GED? I'd be like, yes. Better late than never. In true public teacher fashion, they were like, I don't care who you are. (laughs) That that work is late. If you want the credit, you turn it in. Your essay on To Kill a Mockingbird was due 25 years ago. I'm going to have to mark you down one point for every year late it's been. (laughs) Best you can get 75. (laughs) So Mr. Joel continues in the music biz. He auditions for a guy named Erwin Mazur. Now, Erwin ultimately becomes his manager. At the time, he was just a younger guy whose dad owned a cool club in a strip center Okay, of all places. I didn't know there were cool clubs and strip centers, but that's where Erwin's dad <laughs> had one. And so he said, hey, I think you would be the perfect guy to join the group that I help manage called The Hassles. The Hassles. Thank you very much. He was still just a piano player for him, but he started singing more often, especially when their lead singer left but ultimately the hassles ended up being a hassle they did two albums they weren't well received anywhere and ultimately the group broke up and billy decided to go and form a duo band a two-piece band with the drummer from the hassles and that guy's name was john small what's interesting is it's a duo band with a drummer and a keyboard player and what's more interesting is they were going to play heavy metal right that was their plan they named the band attila and they decided we're going to be super loud and they were in fact so loud they got kicked out of the one gig that they had Billy is trying his best to find a place to live, ultimately ends up staying with John Small and his wife, Elizabeth. Elizabeth isn't super happy with John, her drummer husband, and so she kind of confides in Billy and is like, hey, you know, here are where things are going wrong. And as typically happens when those types of relationships develop, it very quickly turned into an affair. The one rule is in the band, you don't sleep with other band members' wives. It should be really easy when there's only one band member. (laughs) There's only one other guy. Only one guy, and he's the only guy who's married. Don't sleep with that girl. Right. And he couldn't do it. Now, the interesting thing was they were separated for a time, Mm. and Billy Joel thought, well, they're separated. It's cool. We're kind of a trifecta. We were on a break. (laughs) And so his band member followed them home from a gig one time and saw them together. When he came in, Billy had no inkling that what he was doing was not cool or not all right. And he said the guy slugged him out of nowhere. He's like, I'd been punched before, but I'd never been punched that hard when I completely was not looking for it. Yeah. And then the guilt rained down on him. Yeah. And that stopped him right there. He never had another relationship with Elizabeth again. (laughs) No, that's not true. No. Okay. Yeah. No, sorry. (laughs) Yeah. The relationship continued and he continued to feel guilty. And he said, I'm going to, I have to tell him that this is still going on. And she said, if you tell him, I will leave both of you. Uh And that, and that pretty well ended things not only for John and Elizabeth, but it also ended things for John and Billy. 
1970, Attila releases its only album, first and last, and nobody liked it anyway. So 1970 also is when Billy runs away with Elizabeth. They would later get married. She would later become his manager. But what's most impressive is we're going to talk about a video later on that one of the directors for Billy Joel's video is John Small. That's the guy who doesn't hold a grudge. Let me tell you, man. Forget. Wow. Now, during this time, Billy was actually suicidal. He had lost Elizabeth. He had lost his best friend. He had lost his band. He didn't have a gig. He was living in a laundromat. (laughs) I can see how that might be a downer. Yeah. So (laughs) what he did was he was given some anxiety pills. And so he decided, well, I got these pills. I guess I'll just take all of them. Yeah. And he woke up in the emergency room. They had pumped his stomach. He had survived a half-hearted suicide attempt. Yeah. Irwin, he was living with Irwin Mazer at the time. Irwin said he woke up one morning. He walks into the kitchen and on the kitchen table, he sees that Billy has written a song. He's like, oh, hey, there's a song that Billy wrote. It's called Tomorrow's Today. That's interesting. He reads it and then... You know, a few hours later, he gets the call from the hospital and he's like, oh, this is a suicide note. (laughs) Oh, okay, my bad. One thing that I didn't mention about Erwin Mazur is that for a time he was a dental school attendant, but he dropped out of dental school. But when he goes to visit Billy at the hospital, Billy's like, they're crazy. You got to get me out of here. And so several failed attempts at legally getting him out of the hospital later he decides i'm going to throw on my old dental school attendant lab coat and he walks in and sneaks billy joel out of the mental hospital wow that's creative you know what he did to get into the mental hospital he committed suicide or he tried to commit suicide he well his second attempt was he drank a bottle of old english oh yeah furniture cleaner what did you did you hear what he said about the second attempt when he, drank, when he drank the bottle of uh furniture polish he was like it's, i actually pulled up the quote because I, I remember reading this one time and i wanted to get it right well the furniture polish will probably taste better than the bleach so i'll drink the furniture polish and then he said all i ended up doing was farting furniture polish for a couple of days and polishing <laughs> <my> mother's chairs <laughs> Yes. Uh, that's hilarious. Okay, so two suicide attempts. Oddly enough, they didn't polish him off. Oh, cutting. Oh. I went there. Real quick, I was I was going to back up for a second to the Attila album. I was in a used bookstore years and years and years ago, and I ended up coming across a cassette tape, and I pulled this tape out because it said Attila with Billy Joel. And I was like, wait, what? Hold on. Hold the phone. If you're a comic book fan, you might enjoy part of the Attila album because the very first song is titled Wonder Woman. Canonically, I don't think it has anything to do with Wonder woman but that is the name of the song so if you want to just check it out to hear what billy joel's 70s progressive rock heavy metal sounds like go for it it's a weird little album but i wonder if wonder woman is an uptown girl or <laughs> you're trying to serve me these softballs and i'm like swinging a miss that's that's okay. a secret that's a secret code for elizabeth small so less than a month less than a month after he has tried to kill himself the second time because of his failed music career Irwin is at his brother's office and Irwin's brother happens to be the art director for Paramount Records and he's playing in one of Billy's songs and some long-haired dude sticks his head through the door and says who is that what you got there and that dude's name was Michael Lang and if you don't recognize that name he's the guy who did Woodstock So not insignificant. Yeah. And he's like, oh, you like it? And he goes, no, not really. Not my style. But I know a guy who I think would love it. And that is how Billy Joel meets the 
famous, if not infamous, Artie Rip. So Michael Lang sends the music to Artie Rip. Artie Rip calls up Erwin Mazur and says, I love Billy Joel. Let's make a deal. And Billy signs the, as you, as all of our newbie artists do, signs the record deal quick because he wants to be a signed artist. Right. Probably without reading a word of the contract. So with the signing of the deal, he gets back together with Elizabeth. They were on again, off again, and now they're on again. And they're ready to produce Mr. Billy Joel's first and incredibly famous album, <laughs> Cold Spring Harbor. She's got a way about her. I don't know what it is, but I know that I can't live without her. She's Cold Spring Harbor, 1971. Crickets. If you'd like me to talk about Cold Spring Harbor, I could talk about Cold Spring Harbor and maybe one of the problems that came out with Cold Spring Harbor when they recorded it. And they were, to, I'm sorry, that's, that came out way too fast. <laughs> I know. It's like you're a chipmunk or something. That was weird. Yeah, they went through and they recorded the whole thing. And I think it was in a, because of a mastering error. His voice sounded way too high, you know, and, and Billy Joel, he can sound, he, he can hit the high notes. And there are times when, when his voice can come out fairly high, but it ruined the whole album. Like it ruined the sound of it. And he, again, it was kind of feeling like, oh, great. My first album and it's already a flop. It's got some great songs on it, but yeah, just the... The mastering of it got all messed up. And truly the responsible party for that was Artie Rip. Yeah. And he basically just said, the record's already been pressed. There's nothing we can do about it. It is what it is, literally. Yeah. And so here he is. He's got this terrible album. What's he going to do now? He went to a listening party. He was at a listening party and he was listening. He's like, holy crap, I sound like a chipmunk. And then somebody else was started laughing. So he took the record off. He threw it out the window and it just busted everywhere. Yeah. He was humiliated. He was humiliated. So he's not going to make his name through this first record. So his next alternative and pretty much only alternative at this point is to make his name on the road. And since Artie was the one who had screwed up his first album, Erwin Mazur was able to convince him, hey, you need to finance a tour. And so Artie Rip puts up $250,000, $350,000, which was a fair chunk of change in that time. And Billy starts touring the country starts touring in Europe, is making a name as a live show and doing pretty good. And then he has a very, very important moment where he appears on the WMMR radio station in Philadelphia, and he plays a song that he has written while on the road. And that song is called Captain Jack. Saturday night, and you're still hanging around. Tired of living in your one horse town. One of the funny things, I mean, fast forward several years, Billy Joel, I think, has said that's one of his least favorite songs. He, over the years, he got so tired of playing it because one thing, and, and we'll talk about that as, as we're talking about all these different songs, is he's much more of a music person. You know, the, the lyrics to him always come second. He's much more about the music, and I think it's always more interesting, interesting to him when he can do something that is almost classical and and more complex and he has said in in subsequent interviews he's like oh yeah captain jack he even said uh, this was his quote uh at this point i've demoted him to private jack 
because <laughs> she's like, it's, it's just such a boring song. There was an interview where he starts to play it and he's just like, you, you can just tell he's bored even just playing it during that interview. And he's like, oh, thank God, a, a, a chord change. And then he moves into the next <laughs> thing. And he, just, he is not a fan of that song now, I think because it is so simple. And I think some of those I think that's some of the some of the like build up over the years as to why he got disillusioned with his own career and his own success was he felt like oh man like the songs that get me real popular are the ones that like I don't even really care for like <laughs> I I, yeah. I know I got to put the lyrics in there cuz that's what sells albums but eh all right I found this story funny he was out on the road to support that first album and they noticed there was a small group of women that showed up to all the shows turns out they were hookers Oh, hired by our man Artie Rip <laughs> to uh, schmooze the DJs and to uh, you know support the band, to support the band, keep them up, you know, in whichever way they can. If that's moving up, then I'm moving out. <laughs> so he plays Captain Jack on the radio station. It becomes their number one requested song, and as it turns out, a very important individual is listening and hears this song, and that gentleman's name is. Clive Davis. And if you don't know that name, you need to check out No Surprise by Aerosmith, where they said, and then old Clive Davis said, I'm surely going to make you a star, because that's what Clive Davis did. Clive Davis was the head of Columbia Records, and he made a whole lot of stars. Aerosmith, Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen, just to name a few. And so he calls up and says, hey, I want Billy on my label. Well, the problem is, of course, he's on Artie's label still. Right. And so Artie says, "Okay, tell you what, how about I'll let you have him. I just get 25% of all of his album sales and all of his compositions for the next 10 albums. 10 albums. Sounds fair. 10 albums. 10 albums. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, we're here to talk about Album number nine. Nine. So, right. so you just know that Artie Rip got 25% of this baby too. Gosh, dang. That's so funny. Mr. Joel was none too happy about that. He ends up firing Erwin Mazur over the deal because he thinks he's the one who's set him up for this. They remain friends, but he just doesn't think he's a good manager. And ultimately, he decides, hey, you know what? I'm not only going to marry Elizabeth, I'm going to make her my manager. Yep. Have you guys heard that they are talking about making a biopic of Billy Joel? No. Oh, nice. That would be awesome. So, so they, well, maybe. So they announced in, I want to say it was back in March of 2022 that they were going to be making this biopic of his life. The only, and it's going to be directed by, or at least the last thing I heard was it's going to be directed by Adam Rip who is the son of Artie Rip. And the big hurdle that they've got is Billy Joel is not interested in having them make a movie of his early life. So he is not allowing them to use any of his music or his likeness. <laughs> so how they're, how they're possibly going to make a biopic. What I've heard is they, the biopic would, would focus on the time of his life and career leading up to like, I, I guess the end of the movie would be him releasing Captain Jack him performing Captain Jack and that being the first step to his stardom. It's it would deal with the time that he spent with the Hassels and, and Attila and all that and and Erwin Mazur and but yeah apparently they can't use his likeness or his music. So I'm not quite sure how you uh I mean Weird Al's weird would have been even more weird if you couldn't have him look like Weird Al or play Weird Al music. So this is about you. This is about a guy named Schmilly Schmortle. <laughs> A band named Genghis Khan and the right. Hustlers. Yeah, so I, I have oh no clue how they think they're going to pull that off, but 
Well, so he now has to pay back some of the money and is trying to dodge the creditors that are coming back after him. So what he ends up doing is playing lowly piano bar gigs in L.A. under the name Billy Martin. During that time, he meets a guy named Davey, who's still in the Navy, and a guy named Paul, who's a real estate novelist. And probably that one guy probably will be for life. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, 1973, he writes and records Piano Man. It's nine o'clock on a Saturday. The regular crowd shuffles in. Man, that's a good way to come back in. After a terrible, terribly bad failed attempt at a first album, what a great way to reintroduce yourself to the world. Have you guys ever heard any of the demo versions of his songs? I don't think so. They, they had this entire, you can find them on YouTube, but they had this entire, I think it was released as an album. It was called My Lives. And it's a, it's an album of like uh, remixes and demo versions. And I was just listening to this the other day because some of these I, I had not heard before. And the Piano Man demo is really, it's like it's like the, uh, the whole uh, alternate universe kind of thing. It's the Mandela effect. Like it's, it sounds like Piano Man, uh-huh. but the lyrics from the get-go are different. And so it's like, and, and it's like you're listening to Billy Joel sing a song that you're like, no, no, well, hold on. That's not right. I'm, I'm going to actually bring that back when we talk about some of the songs on the, the album that we're, we're here to talk about. Because there's a demo that I actually like better than the song that was released. But yeah, that, that album is kind of fun. But to hear that demo of Piano Man, it's very, and it sounds very different too. It's, it's almost very um, echoey. Like it's, it's got an echo effect that's been added to it. And I'm like, that just sounds, it, it's weird. Said, son, can you play me a memory? I'm not really sure how it goes. You know, in our Patreon episode this month, we're dropping a Patreon episode on Take On Me by AHA. That song went through multiple, like three or four different variations before it hit. Yeah. And the first one, you have that keyboard riff, but the words are totally different. Yeah. Go to our Patreon page, by the way. Check those episodes out. It's awesome. So after The Piano Man is released in 1973, it reaches number 25 in the Hot 100, by the way. We'll roll through these pretty quick. But 1974, he releases an album called Street Live Serenade with the song you might know called The Entertainer. I am the entertainer and I know just where I stand. Another serenader and another long-haired band. Today I am your champion. You know, again, his his struggle with the recording industry and it's it's got the line in the song. I'm, I'm, I'm going to mess it up here in a second, but it's like if you're going to have a hit, you got to make it fit. So they cut it down to 305 um, and kind of like his commentary on I got to I mean, the stuff, if it's going to get on the radio and I'm going to be a hit, I got to do this stuff. But that's not it's not what I want to do. So you can kind of see the the little hints here and there of it's just like some of the other creatives that, you know, we lo- know and love and talk about, like, you know, George Lucas getting you know fed up with the whole studio system and wanting to be free to create his artwork. And but, yeah, I love the I love the the song. The Entertainer It's just such a such a fun little microcosm, I think, of, of Billy Joel's, especially his early career. OK. In 1976, he releases Turnstiles. And the song that I know most from that is called New York State of Mind. Turnstiles is a great album, too. Like that one, you've got Say Goodbye to Hollywood, Summer Highland Falls. That's a great, I love the piano in that one. <laughs> That's He's referred to that one as his uh, his bipolar song. 
New York State of Mind is amazing. James is a fun song. I mean, that, that one's kind of, that's a little underrated. James and then the song that follows it is The Angry Young Man. And I feel like those two could kind of go together. Like James, based on the lyrics of the song, he, he could develop into an angry young man. But then the one that I've always loved this song is it, it ends with Miami 2017. It's one of those kind of like, I always love a good uh, alternate history story, uh, alternate universe kind of a story. And just, and especially when it got to be 2017 and they kind of made a big deal about this song again uh, and they started playing it. I'm like, I have always thought that song is so cool. And it's actually one of his few songs where he kind of, he comes right out and comments on something political uh, because it had to do with the city of New York going bankrupt in the early 70s. And I think it was President Ford, it was the famous headline in the newspaper, Ford says drop dead to New York City. And Billy Joel is like, well, God, what, what would it be like if New York City goes bankrupt and we have to like sell things off and shut things down? And, and so that whole song grew out of that whole battle between New York and President Ford. Yeah. Cool. Well, 1977 is where I kind of enter the picture here. I remember this album as a as a young kid. The Stranger is released in 1977. Don't go changing to try and please me. You never let me down before. That has songs like Just the Way You Are, Only the Good Die Young, Moving Out, and She's Always a Woman to Me. Yeah, the, there's an important thing that happens. The album before this, Turnstiles, is where Billy, he was initially given a Columbia producer and given the band, the backing band for Elton John, which seemed like a good fit, but it wasn't working for him. And he was, he was like, no, I don't want to do that. And he ends up going back to Long Island and getting buddies that are musicians and like guys let's come play on my album they're the ones that of course become his band forever after that and then whenever that's done the stranger comes along and he's like okay i'm kind of done with producing and performing we needed a producer and that's where we introduced mr phil ramone who is also the producer of an innocent man this is one of those albums, and I, I could say this just about any one of his albums, but this one in particular, I think it's it's gotten better reception as time has gone on. I think people have gone back, and it got positive reviews when it came out, but I think since then, a lot of people look back on this one, and they're like, this is probably his most solid lyrical album. I think a lot of people would, would argue it may be his best, and there's just so many songs. I mean, if you look at the songs on that album moving out the stranger just the way you are scenes from an italian restaurant vienna only the good die young she's always a woman i mean you you get to the last two songs in the album before i go oh yeah i know those songs too right like all the other songs are absolutely like throw those all on you know the greatest hits albums and i think they are on all the greatest hits albums sure yeah yeah it's like a greatest hits album in itself yeah okay in 1978 he releases 52nd street for me, the biggest song in the album is My Life. Because of Buddhism Buddies. Because of Buddhism Buddies. Because of Buddhism Buddies. It's a great song, man. It is I a great song. song. I, it's kind of iconic for me. I think that was the song that really, I was like, this guy sings this song, and I made that connection. I grew up, we haven't really talked about this. I really had a lot of Billy Joel growing up. My dad was a big fan. My dad loved the Beatles. Billy Joel loved the Beatles. They were both born in 49. There's definitely an influence there. And so there was tons of Billy Joel in my childhood. John, same thing for you, right? 
Absolutely. In fact, now that we've gotten to this album, I would say growing up in my childhood, same thing. My dad loved the Beatles, loved Billy Joel. Um, so we were constantly listening to Billy Joel in the car, in, at home. And if I had to pick the Billy Joel albums that were on regular rotation for me growing up, uh, we, we actually had, I think my uncle had made a cassette copy. Uh, he had he had gotten the video of uh, Live at Long Island, the uh, the concert. And then he had made a copy of that concert on cassette. So uh, for a lot of our, a lot of my childhood, that was the cassette that was just constantly being played. In fact, I still have it somewhere and it still works. I'm just afraid to play it because I don't want it to break. But that was on all the time, constantly. But the two albums in particular, and if, and if I had to vote and say, what are my two favorite Billy Joel albums? It's 52nd Street and it's Innocent Man. So, and I know, I know some folks, you know, they look at this album and there's like, yeah, you, I mean, you got, you got Big Shot, you got My Life. And, and then beyond that, there's right. some other good ones on there. I look at this album and I go, oh, you, you've got Honesty. I love the song Honesty. I love the song uh, Rosalinda's Eyes is probably one of my favorite songs of his. Uh, Half a Mile Away, 52nd Street. And it's funny because I, I always feel like this album is very jazzy and I'm not always a huge fan of jazz. Sorry to uh, Patrick Canigallo, one of my uh, co-hosts on the 30-something movie podcast who loves jazz. I'm not as much of a jazz guy, but this one is so very much so. Um, and in particular, I, the song, I love the song Rosalinda's Eyes. And do you guys know the story behind that one? No, tell me. So it's actually a song. His mom's name was Rosalind. And basically the song is about a, uh, I think it's about a Cuban singer who is singing in a Puerto Rican band and he's kind of struggling. And and uh, it's, you know, the song is about him kind of falling for this woman in this club and her name is Rosalinda. And, and Billy Joel has said that he treats this uh, this song as the love letter he feels like his father always should have written to his mother. And it was also his kind of his thank you to his mother. Like, thank you for getting me all the lessons you gave me. Thank you for supporting me. Thank you for being there even when, you know, my father left. Thank you for always being the one that that really pushed me to get to where I am today. And I and I love that that this was the love letter that his father should have written for his mother, so he's going to do it for her. That's awesome. Appreciate yeah, it. Love love that album 52nd Street. I love that album. Okay, in 1980 we have Glass Houses. And this was a huge album for me as well, right? You've got it's still rock and roll to me. You may be right. Where are you guys with this one? Best album cover of all Billy Joel album covers. <laughs> I can remember this one. I told you when we did our Lionel Richie episode that seeing him sitting on that chair in our stack of albums was something I remember clearly. This album is another cover that I remember clearly. Him staring at a giant window about to chunk a rock into it. I love it. Yeah, and it, it fits so much with just the opening of the very first song. You got the shattering glass in uh, "You May Be Right," and it just you, you're you're off and running at that point. Really cool, yeah. It's a it's a neat thing that they do there. Yeah, I, and this is one of those you know lo love this album. I mean, I love all of his albums, but this is one of those where obviously kind of side one of the album. If you if you break it in half and you do the the side one, side two of of the original release, side one definitely much much stronger than side two. But still, some other really great songs. Uh, having taken French. In middle school and high school, I do love uh, C'était Toi, You Were the One. But, I mean, the whole first side, You May Be Right, Sometimes a Fantasy, Don't Ask Me Why, Still Rock and Roll to Me, All for Lena. I mean, those are those are awesome. Nowadays you can't be too sentimental. Your best bet's true, baby blue continental. Hot funk, cool punk, even if it's old junk, still rock and roll to me. 
right is one of those earworms that routinely comes up in my mind player i think it might be from the album and the chipmunks chipmunk punk the album though <laughs> just kidding well not really that's probably where i started with it but it's definitely billy joel that is playing in my head chipmunk punk again making an appearance <laughs> all right 1981 we have the album songs in the attic this is a, a collection of live tracks are you a fan of this one john you know what? I haven't listened to this one as much. Typically when I go, if I want to go for uh, live versions of the song, I will tend to gravitate towards that live at Long Island uh, album. So I, I've listened to this one a bit, but I am so used to, because it was on such regular rotation growing up, I tend to, I tend to gravitate over to that one, but uh, still a, a really fun collection from a bunch of his early albums. The song off of this album that I love is that you don't hear elsewhere is She's Got Away. It was yeah. one that was actually on Cold Spring Harbor, but you know what happened with that album. Right. And so to the the way that I know it is the live version. Cool. Okay. Yeah, it's a good one. My wife and I are probably one of our favorite songs of his is uh You're My Home off of Piano Man. And uh, I actually just introduced her the other day to a cover of it because she also, if you know Helen Reddy, uh that did the song in the in the Disney movie Pete's Dragon. Uh, I was thinking, I think it was Candles on the Water was the song. She actually does a cover version of You're My Home. And so I, I played that for my wife the other day. I said, do you want to mix two things you really enjoy? Billy Joel and Helen Reddy? Well, well, get ready. There you go. I believe that's the first time that Pete's Dragon has ever been brought up on our show. That's, that's <laughs> a travesty right there. <laughs> Hopefully it won't be the last. <laughs> All right. In 1982, he releases the album The Nylon Curtain. And this includes songs like Pressure and Allentown. Good night, Saigon, for me. The weirdest one, and as a kid, I don't know, maybe just because he said it was weird on the live album, I was like, I love the song Scandinavian Skies. Like, it is such a weird song. It's not my favorite one off the album, but, you know, that one, I, I, I love that one too. But yeah, Allentown, Pressure, Good Night, Saigon. I, pressure in particular. It was always funny to me. Like, as a kid, I loved these songs, and I would, we used to have one of those tape decks that, you know, had a, uh, had a microphone attached to it. And so I, I think my parents probably switched off the microphone just so they didn't have to listen to the kids sing all the time. But we would take that thing and, and try to do our own little lip sync karaoke kind of a deal. And so I'm sure it was hilarious to watch like this seven year old kid singing the song Pressure because what kind of pressure have I had in my life up to this point? But. One of the lyrics in that song, you're not allowed to sing a seven year old. Well, you know. <laughs> I think it was because in the, uh, it, it, at least in the live version, I'm trying to remember about the other one, uh, he does mention Sesame Street in the song. So I think as a seven year old, I was like, no, oh, I, it's a Billy Joel song that mentions Sesame Street. I'm all I in. What do I do? What does it mean? <laughs> <laughs> All right, three other really eventful things happened in 1982. On April 15th, 1982, Billy Joel is involved in a terrible motorcycle accident. Yeah, in the midst of recording. Like, he, they're not even finished with the album, and it messes up his hands. It busts up his hands. Which is a pretty bad deal if you're the piano man. If you're the piano man, that's a big deal. Yeah. And also in 1982, he served divorce papers from his wife while he's in the hospital. Yeah. Recovering from a busted up hand when you're a piano player it's easy to lay hands on you when you're stuck in a hospital bed oh my gosh and then also in 1982 his good buddy paul simon invites him on a vacation to saint bart's let me tell you a story about a woman and a man you that fateful trip we'll talk about in just a little bit are we there yet are we there yet are we there yet i think we are there 
Guys, it is time for us to discuss an innocent man track by track. See, we gave a whole bridge of information. Oh, you said abridged. I'm sorry. I messed all of that up. I did a whole bridge of history right there. What you wanted was an abridged history. No, you mean the bridge, right? Oh, there you go. Bring it back. <laughs> the, the bridge which helps us get over the river of dreams? There you go. There you go. Okay. Oh, uh, you had to be a big shot, did you? Huh? <laughs> you had to open up your mouth. Yes. <laughs> All right, guys. So we will come back next week and talk about an innocent man track by track. John will be back with us. I will wait the longest time, whatever you need. We will see you guys next week or in a few days, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs>